Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Our reading today can be found on page 1183 in the Church Bibles. It's Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. To page 1183, Colossians chapter 2. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ian. Do keep your Bibles open. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you say in this passage that there are treasures of wisdom and understanding to be found in Christ. Please, by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to see more of him and more of those treasures today. In Jesus' name, amen. In what area of life would you like to advance your knowledge? I feel I don't know enough history. I, uh, I find it really interesting, but at school I had no interest. So I feel like I'm starting from scratch. And uh, I really want to learn. I want to know about all those kings and queens of England and the, the rise and fall of empires and all the different stories of different people from around the world. I'd, I'd love to know them. So now I do occasionally read a history book and I, I listen to a history podcast and I'm loving advancing my knowledge in the area of history. Some want to learn languages. I wonder who gave that a go during the pandemic. I know there was lots of good ambitions for language learning. Uh, others uh, want to take up skills. I know people who've taken up carpentry or a musical instrument. Last week I heard of someone who had taken up paragliding. Well, we like to advance our knowledge. Why? Well, we enjoy it. Or we want to better ourselves. We want to grow. Maybe we want to be impressive to others. Win that girl over by speaking French to her. Something like that. Well, our passage today talks about growing. And in particular, growing in knowledge. But it says the best thing we can grow in knowledge of is Jesus Christ. And the gospel message, and the depths of it, and the wide application of it, that's the best thing we can grow in. But let's be honest, a few hearts will sink at that more Bible study. 
Our trouble is it doesn't excite us. This passage says that the things we can learn are riches and treasures. But we don't usually think about it like that. So today we'll try to see how much there is to know about Jesus and through Jesus and to see that it is really special. It is the best thing we could seek to grow in. So here's the main point for today. In Christ, we have all the knowledge we could possibly need. In Christ, we have all the knowledge we could possibly need. Verses 1 to 3. In the passage before, if you were here last week, you'll remember that Paul was talking about his ministry, his labor, so that people might know Jesus. First one of this chapter follows straight on. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. So it's hard work, and he's doing it for them, and for Christians all over the place. And why does he do it? Verse 2, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There's lots of knowledge language here, and there's lots of treasure language here. You see the knowledge language? He wants them to have complete understanding, and he wants them to know the mystery of God. And he wants them to discover the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So he's working hard so that they might learn more. Paul is a teacher. But it's mixed in with treasure language. Uh, These are the full riches of complete understanding. And it's the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So it's not just any old knowledge. It's not boring knowledge. It's not Latin grammar. This is stuff that when you grasp it, it's like winning the lottery. And it's all in Christ. As we saw last week, and again here in verse 2, the mystery which has been revealed is Jesus Christ. Paul is giving everything that he has so that people will know Jesus. They'll know him more and more and then discover all this wisdom and knowledge that is found through him. What does that mean? What are the things that we come to know when we come to know Jesus? Well, we can list a few things starting from the basics. We know Jesus Christ himself the supreme Son of God, as described in chapter 1. And and through him, we also come to know about God the Father and God the Spirit. But Jesus also teaches us about ourselves. He shows us the wonder of humanity, but also our sinfulness. Through him, we learn about salvation, the cross, the resurrection, our bond with Jesus. In him, we are reconciled to God. Through him we hear about what our future holds, the new creation. In him we discover our purpose, which is to live now for the glory of God. 
So that's a good start, isn't it? There's lots of special things to know through Jesus. Better than knowing multiple languages. Better than knowing multiple philosophies. These things we discover in Jesus. But you might say, well, there's lots that Jesus doesn't teach us about, isn't there? We can't say he gives us all the knowledge about everything. And it's true. The Bible doesn't talk about tax law or geography, or language learning, or bakery, all of those things we'll learn about from other places. But there are two really important things to remember. Firstly, if the Bible doesn't talk about those things explicitly, you'll be okay not knowing about it. I'll give you a few examples. An easy example, as Paul mentioned, you're okay if you don't know about Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney. You're not missing out. Middleish example, if you've never learnt a foreign language, that's okay, God doesn't mind. Harder example, push it all the way to the very basics of education, you're okay if you can't read and write. Some people can't. But if you know Jesus, you know all that you really need to know, you can be saved. Secondly, though, there is still lots of good stuff to know. It is better to be able to read and write. But whatever it is that we're learning about, Christ actually has the best thing to say about it. He will have the most important insight, even if the subject is not mentioned explicitly in the Bible. There's lots to learn from lots of very clever people, but what Jesus says will be the most important thing. Let me give you some examples. Geography. Jesus doesn't speak about plate tectonics or longshore drift or pollution, but he does say, I made the world. And he says, people are the most important part of the creation. And that will shape the way you do geography. Or a skill like carpentry, though Jesus presumably knew a fair bit about it, he never told us about types of joints or varnishes, or anything like that. But he does say, creativity is good. And blessing others with the things that we make is a wonderful thing. And that will spur us on to good carpentry. And doesn't this fit with the description of Jesus in chapter 1? The supreme Lord of all? How could there be any realm where he doesn't have the best thing to say? So Jesus says the most important thing on every topic, but not necessarily explicitly. And so we need to study the Bible deeply and discover the really good things that he has to say. The treasures, the life-changing wisdom from Jesus that is here in his word. Now you can apply this to anything. Jesus has wisdom for work and politics, for education and business, for hobbies and holidays. Our biblical counseling team here at church have really understood this. And one of their catchphrases is bringing the riches of Christ to the realities of life. And they know that when things go wrong, often with our mental state, we don't need to outsource completely our psychological needs to secular professionals Now, of course, those professionals, they have plenty of good stuff to say. They are experts in the field. 
But Jesus also has things to say. In him are treasures of wisdom and things which are supremely relevant, like the sovereignty of God over all that we're anxious about. That's what the biblical counseling team are doing, bringing the riches of Christ to the realities of life. And if you'd, love to, if you'd like to talk to them, they'd love to hear from you. Do book a chat. But it's what we should all be doing as well, isn't it? It makes us think, what do we need most of all? What do our kids need most of all? We need to know more of Jesus. To appreciate the gospel in all its depth, in all its width of application. That's why we put such an emphasis here on Bible teaching and Bible studies. It's how we hear the message of Jesus through Paul, through the apostles, through the prophets. They bring us the treasures of Christ. So Bible study defines everything that we do from the children's work all the way up to our ministry with older people. And we've got all these small groups in church life. We've got many small group leaders here. It's hard work, isn't it? But it's worth it. Honestly, we have in our hands the greatest treasure and riches we could possibly imagine. And sometimes we don't even know it. In Christ, we have all the knowledge we could possibly need. Now, this leads Paul here in Colossians to two applications, one a negative, one a positive. Don't do this, but do do this. And so firstly, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Verse 4, don't be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Why does Paul want them to know how much they have in Jesus? Because they're starting to think that they're missing out. And so they might hear other things, other ideas, and and they seem wise, and then they're deceived by them. What does he mean by fine-sounding arguments? That's an interesting expression. I think it's those sort of things that when we hear them, it just seems right. It just seems true. It resonates with us, and we go, of course. We need some examples, um, because he doesn't give them right here in verse 4. But by the end of the chapter, he's suggesting some things. Uh, Verse 16, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath. Presumably there were some people saying that religious people should have rules about what they eat and they should celebrate religious festivals. And, And that just sort of sounds right for religions, doesn't it? He picks it up again in verse 21, talking about some of those rules that people suggest. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. So someone was saying they should have religious rules. Religious people should have religious rules. That's the way religions work. It it just seems plausible. But no, verse 23, these regulations only have an appearance of wisdom. They don't ultimately work. Jesus Christ is all we need. We must not be deceived by fine-sounding arguments. Now, what are the fine-sounding arguments today? That's what they might have been for them. 
What are they for us? Well, in the religious sphere as well, it could be some things like this. Someone saying real Christians must do certain things at certain times of year. Lent, perhaps, or certain ceremonies to be observed. Maybe there are some things in the Catholic sort of direction. Uh, The importance of First Communion or First Confession. Reasonable sounding things. Or maybe it's someone saying you need to have had an experience if you're going to be an authentic Christian. Perhaps a danger in the charismatic direction. Suggesting we get a supernatural experience of the Holy Spirit. And that's believable, isn't it? Or looking at ourselves, the danger for conservatives, maybe it's more rules-based. The true Christian is strict in their discipline. Well, to all of these, what does Jesus actually say? You just need me. Nothing else makes you authentic. I think we probably hear some fine-sounding arguments in many other areas of life as well. All those things which just sound obvious. We read the Instagram post or the Twitter thread, and and it just seems right. Everyone's liking it. Why would anyone object to same-sex marriage or gender transitioning or any other issue, things said on migration or poverty or justice or education or the roles of men and women or beginning-of-life issues or end-of-life issues? We're going to hear lots of things that lots of people say, and lots of it will sound very good, and it may well be very good. But do we listen with the wisdom of Jesus in our minds, remembering that he has the very best thing to say on every issue? Don't put Christianity here. And the issues of the world over here. Jesus is Lord of it all. We must listen to what he says. And not be deceived by fine sounding arguments. Then thirdly the positive command. Verses 5 to 7. Grow up strong in Jesus. In Christ, we have all the knowledge we could possibly need. So grow up strong in Jesus. Verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So he's worried that they might be deceived, but he's also not that worried because he sees that they're firm in their faith and that's how he wants them to continue. So we come to those central verses of the letter, verses 6 and 7. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And the big idea of these verses is that we must continue as we started Each phrase has that idea. Look at it. You receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, so now continue to live your life in him. When we were converted, we realized that Jesus is 
everything to us. He's our Lord and our Savior. So now continue to live in that way. Rooted and built up in him, where you put your roots is where you now grow. We don't move to any other place. I went around to someone's house the other day and they were um, telling me that they tried to move this bush from one part of their garden to the other part of the garden and now it's dying because it's changed place. Now, I, don't, I can't comment on the wisdom of that decision, but with Christ, we don't even try it. We stay in the same place and be strengthened in the faith you were taught. You heard the gospel message. Now be strengthened in that. Nothing new. When I was about 10, my Sunday school teacher said in a talk, Christianity is like golf, not skiing. When I was 10, I didn't know much about either of them. I probably don't really anymore. I'm sure there's a few others you could ask about. But the Sunday school leader said it, and it stuck with me. And um, as an aside, if you are one of our children's group leaders, your work is so important, it will stick with people. It's not in vain. But the Sunday school leader said it, and he then explained it. Christianity is like golf, not skiing. In skiing, you first learn the snowplow, and you go down the slope slowly with your skis in a V, but then you get to a point where they say, well, stop that, now do this. Parallel turns, and you whiz down the slope. But in golf, you learn your swing, and then you don't change it. You keep on doing the same again and again, perfecting it. We started with Jesus. We don't need to change. We grow up strong in him. I think this is so important for our young people particularly. As you start out, you should be dreaming of a lifetime growing up strong in Christ. Consider yourselves like a little tree. Imagine next week you go down to the garden center and you buy a little tree and you plant it at the bottom of your garden. You dig a hole, you put it in, you pack it in with compost. You water it and you stand back to watch it grow. It's not very fast, nothing much happens in that first year. But in the spring, some leaves appear. Its growth is slow, but you measure it a year on from planting it, and it's actually grown by a few centimeters. Then more each year, gradual growth. At one point, you realize it's now taller than you. At one point, some fruit starts appearing. Off you go to get a job somewhere, or you go off to uni, but you're always interested in how that tree's doing in your parents' garden. A few years down the line, you move out. You move city, you settle there. Life goes on. You get married, you have some kids, you've got a garden of your own. But one time you're back at your parents and your kids are playing in the garden and you look out and they're climbing in that tree at the bottom of the garden. And you're watching from a distance with a smile on your face. They think it's just some tree at Granny's, but it's the one you planted. And it's strong and it takes them and they climb up in it. Years later, your kids are grown up and your parents are old now too and, and they're moving out and you're selling the house. And you walk out into the garden and you look at that tree. And it's tall and strong. It's 50 years old. 
with a great thick trunk. And you remember back to that moment when you planted it in that spot in the ground and you can barely believe the growth since then. Imagine that. I want your faith to be like that tree. Growing year on year, strong and becoming a blessing to others. And over the years, you're looking back with thankfulness. Because that's the end result, verse 7. A strong, overflowing Christ, a Christian, overflowing with thankfulness. Thankful to Jesus for all that he's done in our lives. And for all the blessings that we've received through him. Thankful. Isn't that a wonderful ambition? To be a thankful person. Grumbly people are the worst. But thankful people are the best. And I hope that we as a church family might be growing up like this. Because these are instructions for a group of Christians. Not just an individual Christian. Imagine what we can become. A church that is growing through knowing more and more of Jesus. A church who delight in studying the Bible, eager to find more treasures. And so we grow and and we become a people ever more filled with faith and love and hope. Joy and thankfulness course through us. We form a culture of loving care, real involvement in each other's lives. We're a people who are seen by our community and so drawn in to meet with Jesus themselves. All sorts of people grafted in. Everyone a special addition by God. And so the praises and thanksgiving rise up louder and louder. Because Jesus is everything to us. He's Lord of all and in him are all the treasures of wisdom and understanding. Friends, let's put down deep roots in Christ so that we can grow up discovering more and more of all the treasures that we have in him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you that he's our Lord and that he's our saviour. Thank you that in him we have wisdom and understanding for every situation. Lord, help us to grow up in Christ. Help us to know him more by the power of your spirit. Teach us as we study your word. Might we become strong Christians, mature in the faith, and overflowing with thankfulness. Please, Lord, put that joy in our hearts. In Jesus Christ. Amen.